Hello, I'm James Fitzsimons, and welcome to The Career Scoop, a podcast all about career progression, advice, and experiences aimed at assisting those who are in career transition. Today, my guest is Sean Coughlin. Sean is the Executive Director at Human Dignity Foundation. I'm delighted to welcome you to the show, Sean. Uh, great to be here. Thanks, James. Yeah, it's always, always good to see you. I know Sean for a number of years, I think going back to 2002, 2003, if, if I'm correct, the first time we, we met. Yeah, and, and you were instrumental in me uh, uh, taking up a role that probably was one of the, if not the defining career experiences of my life. So, and you're, you're I, very kind. I think maybe our karma is a bit of luck coming together, right place, right time for both of us, maybe. for the, But it's actually, that's uh, on that point, just... Would you give us a quick overview of your career to date and kind of the highs and lows, what you've learned, what are you most proud of? So uh, I, I think my career has been uh, somewhat uh, eclectic um, and, and varied. Um, so it has definitely not been linear. Um, uh, I mean, very quickly, I left school and uh, was recently good at maths, enjoyed it and uh, started as a trainee actuary. Left that after a year because I probably naively coming out of school thought that, you know, everyone seemed to think that's a good job. It turned out it wasn't suitable for me. And I think that's actually one good insight is when you, when you know things aren't working course correct quickly, um, if you can, if you've got that opportunity, um, don't stay longer than you need to in something that you aren't enjoying. Um, you know, sometimes you have to, we all have to, but, but seize the opportunities when they present themselves. Um, went to college, my, 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 academic background is theoretical physics, um, was uh, teaching uh, physics and maths for a couple of years, um, then uh, moved into a role where I tried to start up a couple of businesses, unsuccessfully failed at those while I was uh, abroad. Um, but that was a great learning experience. Um, that, was the, uh, that was the olive business. Just share a little Sultanus. bit. Sultanus. Sultanus, yeah. sorry. Um, so, yeah, I was I was out teach as part of my teaching uh uh, experience. I'd moved from from Ireland out to uh, Istanbul and Turkey. Um, I wanted to kind of just experience uh, more of the world and maybe a different culture. And when I was teaching out there, um, I had the idea actually coming home for one Christmas um, and looking at all of the kind of the Christmas baking supplies in supermarkets that always kind of uh, you know fill the shelves around December time frame. Um, that a lot of the fruit and nuts, that, that, that sort of, you know, uh, produce was extremely expensive over here and, you know, extremely cheap over in Turkey where mo a lot of those those products are grown. And so I, I went back to Turkey with an idea of maybe uh, trying to set up a, an import business. Um, I had some contacts in, in Turkey, I knew some people who uh, were familiar with the trade, who had contacts with uh, factories that produce things like sultanas, got a $10,000 loan from an expat Irishman with a business out there um, and bought 10 tons of sultanas um, and decided I was going to um, set up a business, uh, ship them uh, from Turkey to, to Dublin. I'd never seen the, the, you know, the sultanas until I arrived back in Dublin myself um, into a warehouse in Dublin port, which still uh, still is there. And uh, walked in and saw uh, literally a mountain of, of boxes of sultanas and thought to myself, good Jesus, Sean, what have you done? Um, and uh, spent uh, about a year uh, selling sultanas wholesale. The business didn't work out um, in that uh, what I 
had not realized in you know, my naivety was that you know, sultanas are a high volume, low margin business. Um, you know, if you're starting out with very limited resources and, and, and not a big distribution or uh, you know, network, uh, probably the reverse would have been better. Um, but I did manage to, to sell all of the, the, the produce, repaid the loan, um, and decided I'd better get a real job. And uh, I got a job in um, a very up and coming and, and uh, fast growing uh, IT company called Baltimore Technologies in, in 98. Um, so this was just around the time of the start of the dot-com boom. Um, I was employee number 68 in the company after 18 months, we'd gone from 68 employees to about 1,400. Um, we had a market capitalization at the time of about over 6 billion uh, sterling. I think we hit the FTSE 100 um, for one quarter. Um, we all had share options in the company because we were early in. Our share options were pretty good. Um, and so suddenly uh, I was, um, you know, on paper, uh, worth a lot of money. Um, I had you know, all the, the big Irish uh, banking uh, institutions uh, cold calling me with their you know, private wealth management uh, divisions, uh, looking to meet for a coffee. And it was a, sort of a, an exciting, but slightly surreal and unreal time, um, which was great until about 2001 when the dot-com bubble burst. And then suddenly all of us with, with still with options, um, you know, Whereas uh, six months previously, we've been worth a, a, quite a significant amount of money. Uh, suddenly, we're back to being worth what we were three or four years ago um, because the options were, were, were underwater at that point. Um, I think it was a great experience. It taught me a lot on the way up in terms of the company growing very quickly. I think that a lot of things were done really, really well. I think some things in that rapid growth expansion weren't done well. Um, and that tripped up the, the, the company, uh, you know, uh, when things got difficult. Um, so great to have that sort of insight and thinking, you know, you learn as much, if not more, on the way down as you do on the way up. And I think that's uh, something that has always stuck with me. Uh, a future board member um, at one point, you know, I remember sitting with them, interviewing someone for a, a, a grant we were uh, going to give them. And you know, he asked them what their battle scars were, and I think that's a you know a very useful um, way of thinking. You know, kind of both for yourself, you know, kind of what are your battle scars and what have you learned from them, um, and and in terms of of others as well. So stayed in the IT sector until uh, 2004, and then got an opportunity. I met a extremely inspirational person, uh, Declan Ryan, um, from the, the 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 Ryan family of Ryanair. Um, who was setting up a, a new foundation uh, called the One Foundation. Um, and part of that uh, was to set up an initiative around social entrepreneurship, which is essentially, you know, uh, you know like setting up a venture capital fund for entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs who are interested in solving social issues rather than necessarily uh, generating uh, profitability. Um, so myself and Declan uh, were introduced through James, as it turns out, um, and uh, Declan, uh, you know, uh, and, and myself agreed that I'd come on board and, and set up this part of what Declan was doing. And we that turned into a, an organization called Social Entrepreneurs Ireland. Um, so we went out and we raised 
money. We raised a fund and then we invested by the time I left in 139 different social entrepreneur enterprises, um, some of which, uh, you know, didn't quite work out, but that's the nature of early stage investment, many of which did, you know, you know, um, continue to, to um, grow and thrive, and some of which were real superstars, so really rapid growth and really made some significant changes to Ireland and beyond in terms of tackling some of our entrenched social issues. Um, I left that after 10 years primarily because I thought, you know, if we are supporting uh, entrepreneurs and, and social entrepreneurs, our organization should be entrepreneurial itself. And after 10 years, I thought it would be good um, for both the organization and for myself that there was a change in leadership and a you know, kind of fresh blood um, and new challenges. I think that I didn't want to be in a position where um, I started you know, just to uh, adopt you know, routine and, 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 and well-worn paths and patterns because I've been doing this for 10 years and that's just the way we always do it. So I think, you know, kind of it was it was necessary on both sides, from the organization side and from my side, uh, you know, to for both of us to, to see some change. Um, I made a very conscious decision at that point uh, that I wanted to move out of the, if you want, the social or the, the sort of not for profit sector back into the commercial uh, environment and was lucky enough to um, get offered the role of uh, chief executive of Boards.ie, one of Ireland's uh, largest online forums. Um, so uh, I was with boards for four years, um, and again, that was a an interesting and, and refreshing change because moving from from not for profit into commercial, um, there's a whole set of of new kind of uh, challenges and, and and new measures of success. I think, um, and I think that um, you know gave me a, a breadth and a, a, you know of experience that I was looking for. Um, Boards.ie merged with one of its sister organisations. Um, the journal uh, .ie at, uh, in mid 2018, and at that point, I decided you know my my work there was probably coming to an end, and I was looking for a, a new challenge, and that's when uh, I uh, met uh, John Climax, the founder of the Human Dignity Foundation, um, and he was looking for an executive director to run the foundation, a foundation that's focused on uh, promoting and protecting the rights of the child, particularly. Uh, looking to end female genital mutilation and online child sexual abuse. And in a conversation with John, um, uh, we agreed that I would take over the role as executive director, which is where I am today. Wow, really interesting. And in your current role, do you want to share a little bit more about, about some of the kind of the output of, of the work you're doing? I know it's offshore predominantly. Sure. So, so we have um, two, as I say, very specific areas of focus. Uh, ending female genital mutilation and cutting and tackling child sexual abuse, particularly online child sexual abuse. Um, most of our work is done outside Ireland. If you look at FGM, um, the areas we're interested in are the areas where the prevalence rate is high, work in communities where the prevalence rate is high. You know, we work with uh, organisations that are in communities where you know, over 90% of all girls are cut, and and that's just a you know that is unacceptable, um, I, I, and it's something that that needs to change. Those communities tend to to be, although there are some cases within Ireland, but those communities where that prevalence rate is high tends to be outside Ireland. Online child sexual abuse is um, knows no borders. That is a, a you know a, an issue, a, a worldwide issue, and our work there 
um, is with international uh, organizations and institutions. For example, Interpol, uh, where we are one of the uh, major funders of the unit the, within Interpol that looks to identify um, both child victims and perpetrators, and then working with uh, national police authorities, rescue those, those child victims and hopefully apprehend and uh, prosecute the, the perpetrators. Um, I think what I would say about the foundation and about our founder is that those two issues are difficult issues. They're, you know, they are, they are issues that you know, many people uh, you know, um, would feel uncomfortable discussing in, in, in detail. Um, and uh, I have to admire uh, John for focusing the foundation on those two issues, because if you look at the funding environment internationally, they don't see uh, nearly as much funding and as much support as other equally important issues. And I, I'm not suggesting that, that the, any other issue isn't, uh, isn't uh, worthy of, of support. But these two issues in particular struggle to get, uh, as I say, funding and, and visibility. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's to John's credit and hopefully to the credit of the foundation as a whole in the work that we do, um, that we are helping to both to raise the profile of these two issues internationally and also to um, see real and tangible successes in terms of you know, having girls growing up free from the, both the physical and, and, and psychological um, trauma that, uh, that female genital mutilation can cause and children protected from predators um, and uh, being able to be children and not being subject to the threat of abuse um, uh, you know, wherever they've been maybe whether it be Ireland, um, Europe or Africa or Asia. Great, thank you. And I presume online is, is the big, big predatory space. For it, a lot is, of well, it is. I mean, it's, it, you know, predators tend to move, you know, kind of from, you know, offline to online. Um, uh, but online pre presents um, specific challenges um, that are not uh, you know that 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 are not the, you know as 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 uh, prevalent in an offline environment. So, for example, you know it, the 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 re-traumatization and in a sense re-abuse of victims in an online environment is particularly uh, 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 you know particularly pronounced. Uh, for you know, if if an image of a child being abused um, is posted online. What we find is that there are, you know, the copies of that, of those images and those videos proliferate. So, you know, even if the victim is identified, I mean, there have been cases where years later, you know, five, ten years later, they are still aware of and still, you know, seeing themselves being abused because of a copy of a copy of a copy of the of, of the image or the video that was made. So there are some very interesting projects, you know, where, you know, uh, once a uh, offending images identified, you know, technology can go and crawl the web looking for copies of that image and removing it from websites or, you know, issuing takedown notices to website owners. So those sort of, you know, issues are specific to an online environment that wouldn't occur in an offline environment. However, as I say, in terms of perpetration, um, what we will find is that the, the perpetrators themselves, you know, um, some may Work or remain exclusively online, but there will be many who won't. And so, in in a way, in order to tackle the online issue, we have to tackle the issue of child sexual abuse in the round. Okay, sure. Gosh, that's uh, that must be very, um, yeah, it's very impactful for obvious reasons. And the subject is 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 what it is. 
Just moving, moving back to your days in, in Social Entrepreneurs Ireland, and you mentioned 139 different kind of investments or investees. Um, do you want to, without kind of identifying particular, is there, is, there, is there a number of projects for whatever reason or people or organizations you worked with that really kind of you remember that kind of come to, come to mind and for what reasons? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess for me, what's interesting is that when you're investing in, in social entrepreneurs, as I, I would uh, imagine when you're investing in any entrepreneurs, you're never short of passion and you're never short of conviction. So the entrepreneurs, you know, typically will be extremely um, enthusiastic about whatever endeavor they're, that they're looking to undertake. Um, and they will absolutely believe that their particular project or idea is going to change the world or you know, has the potential with the right support uh, to change the world. That applies to commercial as well as, as, as not-for-profit. And if you don't get any of either of those two things, then the, you, know, you shouldn't continue with the conversation at all. I mean, you know, they, they are not suitable for, I would, I would suggest, for a, a, an entrepreneur-led fund. Um, so getting passion and commitment is, is, is sort of a given. What I think really stood out for me is the where the, the the projects where the there was this very unique or maybe not unique but but special combination of the head and the heart um, and those typically were the projects that we really saw scale and grow and, and and where we saw large success you know often what you would have is is people who were passionate um, about the subject but maybe not have taken the time to really work through a plan of action, a, you, know, a, you know, a plan of attack. How we're, you know, how we're going to get from an idea into, you know, a prototype or a test or a, you know, proof of concept to roll out, you know, and, and to scale up. Um, plans will change all the time. There's not one plan that I had seen, you know, or presented to me that was the same 12 months, 24 months, or, or, or 48 months later. So the issue isn't about whether they get it right. The issue is about an approach. It's about a way of thinking. So I, what I would say is that you know, entrepreneurs are people who have big ideas, who, who, who are innovative and inspiring, but also have the ability to make things act, happen, to the ability to act. And for me, part of that is at any point in time, always knowing where you're going, always having that, that kind of direction of travel or plan of action. You can change that. In fact, you're going to need to change that as, as, as things develop, as you learn more, as your external environment changes. So you're going to have to constantly modify and update that. But you should never be without a plan. Well, would that be, I suppose, that would, be, that would, that would um, support people looking for jobs or changing careers? Is, would it be kind of the same, the same um, approach? It's funny you should say that, James, because that's exactly what, what, reflecting on my my own journey. Um, you know, sometimes I I got lucky in terms of opportunities presenting themselves, um, and I would I would say that I had not always um, adopted that you know kind of that mantra myself. But looking back, I think when I've been most successful in terms of kind of career development and career choices is when I applied exactly the same 
uh, logic to myself and my own my own career. I think that, and in fact, you know, you could even argue in a, in a way it isn't just career; it's life, right? You know, you don't have to decide when you're 18 what you're going to do when you're 40 or you're you're 65. Because, you know, the, the chances of you getting that right, that prediction right, are, are pretty small. But you should never drift. You should never be in a position where you are sitting there saying, I actually don't know what comes next, or I don't know where I want to be focusing next, or what I want to be looking at next, or what interests me, you know, kind of um, where I want to upskill or, or get a bit more experience or, you know, or try out or experiment. If you're sitting there kind of going, I actually don't know what I want to be doing, that is not a good place to be. So I would, th- I would adopt and then suggest it's, it's, it's not a bad strategy to adopt exactly the same approach, to say, accept that things will evolve and change, and therefore your own plans will evolve and change, but always have a plan. Always have a plan. Allow it to evolve and change, but always, if someone said, you know, says to you, well, you know, kind of what's next? Or you know, kind of where are you aiming for next? You should always be able to answer that question, always. But that's not so easy for a lot of people, Sean. I, I and I do. I, I totally agree with you. By the way, that's not so easy. Something because people don't know how to, may not know how to think like that, or may not know to have that lens. Would you say, you know, I mean, obviously you're a, a physicist and um, sultana farmer, come seller, come wholesaler, to supporting, you know entrepreneur social entrepreneurs and obviously now in, in, in a particular area where you are with with uh, your job now um how, how does someone like if you're 20 a 24 year old just come out of college now they may not know that they're brilliant they're bright they're uh, effusive but it's it it that that they, they kind of nobody said hey you give permission to kind of but you must it's good to have a plan or, or a momentum how, yeah. how would you I mean, I, I'd, I'd actually, you know, in a way, um, make it really simple or bring it back to some, you know, some very simple things. I, you know, I think sometimes people, you know, hear the word plan and they think this has to be some incredibly complex, complicated, long-term, detailed thing. It doesn't. I mean, the plan could be, I don't know what I want to do next, medium or long-term, so my plan right now could be I, what I need to do for the next six months, year, two years, whatever the time frame might be, whatever is appropriate, I need to try out a couple of things so I can figure out where I want to go longer term. And that's a plan. Okay. It, so plans can be as simple or as complicated as you want. What I would say is, um, you know, even in that scenario, what you, you know, if you're saying, I need to figure out, you know, try out a couple of things, you know, it can be as simple as writing down a list of what things you are interested in. What, what kind of gets you, what would get you up in the morning? You know, what are the things that, you know, kind of, you would walk into an office or into a work or onto a, you know, kind of, you know, uh, or wherever it may be into, into any organization and be kind of thinking to yourself, you know what? Yeah, this is interesting stuff. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to know a bit more about this. Right? It can be as simple as writing down that list on one piece of paper and prioritizing it. Saying which ones, which of this list, which are the top ones for me? Which ones kind of either, you know, uh, interest me most or, or, or speak to me most, whatever my, what, whatever my objectives may be. And then 
the, the second part is saying, okay, now, if I know that, what ways do I have of trying to, you know, make that happen? Is that talking to people? Is that, you know, so that's the second list, you know, talk to some contacts, don't have any contacts, right? Do a web search, you know, kind of write some, uh, you know, uh, an email to a, 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 some companies or, or whatever that list may be. It can be as simple as two lists. Um, I, I, it can be more complicated. It can be longer term. Um, but again, you don't have to map out 20 years. You can map out one year and then say, after that, I'll, I'll reevaluate and decide you know, what the plan is for the next period of time. That could be another year. That could be another five years. So what I'm hearing, there is always opportunity if you're open to it. Yep. The glasses should be half full in your head. Yeah. And have a go. Uh, have a go. Just do it. And, and, and don't be intimidated or, 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 or sort of uh, scared off by the fact that you don't have all the answers. None of us do. Well, very few of us do. A lucky few do. I, I, I haven't. I don't and I haven't. Um, you don't need all the answers. You, and, and again, it's almost like, you know, the... the you know, the, the analogy of the, you know, of, you know, a, a journey and, and, and a long journey ahead. How do you, how do you, you know, kind of get all the way to the end? Well, I mean, and, and this is a bit trite and it's, 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 you know, kind of, it's a bit well-worn, but maybe that's because there's truth to it. You know, the way you, you get to your destination is you take the first step. And, you, and, and, and if, you, if you only know one step ahead, that's all you need to know. If you know five steps ahead, great, even better. But you don't need to know more than one step ahead. But you need to know the first step. You need to know what you're doing next. Because if you don't do that, know that, then you're 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 a bit aimless, and you're and you could drift into things that actually aren't where you want to be or what you want to do. Yeah, it's it's interesting that coming onto the people, like you've hired a number of people over the years, or recruited a number of people in in the various jobs you've been in. What do you qualities do you look for in the people you recruit? So I, 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 we, I've always worked in, um, you know, with, with relatively small teams um, and uh, even within big companies, you know, we've, whether it's been a small management team or a, a particular uh, division within, within a company, the teams have been relatively small. And I think that, you know, if you just assume that, for particular jobs, there's particular sector expertise that that are boxes that just need to be ticked, and 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 you have those boxes ticked, um, you know, whether it be finance or accountancy or some particular, you know, you know, in 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 an IT company, you know, coders and they they know their stuff. After that, I think there's a couple of things that that are important to me and that work in terms of building a team dynamic. Um, that, that makes an effective team that delivers. Um, and, and none of this is rocket science. I think there's lots of, of people who would, who would talk about this. But again, there's a truth in the fact that, that it's, it's you know, something that a lot of people say. Um, I value autonomy and the ability for people to be kind of uh, self-starting. Uh, I think that that's a re... I think if you want a very hierarchical structure... Um, you you may that may not be um, as important. You know, if it's if it's a command and control type of environment, you know, you can have worker bees. I don't personally tend to to work that way. I don't think it it suits my management style at all. 
Um, and I don't think the teams that that if you know that I've experienced are as effective in that sort of structure. So I, I as far as possible, um, any structure I've been involved in or had any influence on has been as flat as possible. We are, where it is a set of you know uh, you know people working as as much as possible as equals and co collaborators in achieving a common goal and a common end. Um, and therefore, self-starting, you know, is, um, is important. Um, the ability to, um, autonomy to be able to kind of go and get work done that needs to be done, and the ability to be able to collaborate, um, hugely important. And I think a lack of ego, in a sense. Now, I think as, as not that we all want to be shrinking violets and, and afraid to speak out, but the, what I mean by that is, you know, People aren't precious about their own particular views or standpoints or work. You know, if we collectively, you know, look at, on ourselves as a team rather than as a set of individuals, then, you know, we welcome feedback. We welcome constructive criticism. We welcome the challenge of our colleagues because that makes us better individually and therefore collectively as a team. Um, and so those would be kind of some of the the if you want the softer skills that I would be looking for. You don't need to be extrovert. You, you don't care if you're an introvert or you don't care if you're quiet or you're vocal, but I think you, you can be any of those types and still have some of those core skills. Um, and, and I think that's, that's where people really thrive and where I think we get the best, uh, best kind of team uh, dynamic uh, from experience, both times where it worked and times it didn't. But what advice would you give to a, a 22-year-old graduate who's just come out of at college or someone who's just lost their job and we're in a in a pandemic and it's all very worrying so we're, you know the, it's all very negative what, what would you what would you um say to them i mean i, I you know i know i know and the times are, are 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 you know are tough at the moment and and one thing i am uh conscious of is that um it's very easy for people in in positions like I'm in, or other people who have, you know, whose, whose work continues, um, who aren't act, uh, looking for jobs or looking for new opportunities, or, or you know, thinking about new career paths at the moment. It's it's very easy for us to throw out advice because we're in a very, you know, we're in a, a you know a comfortable position, um, and and we don't have to necessarily walk the path that many people are walking at the moment, you know, so. Um, I would say two things. I would say that um, that there are that there is always there will always be opportunity out there. And and again, what you need to do is um, I think be as open to opportunity as you possibly can. I think one of the things that really has worked for me in my career is talking to people and building up as much networks as I, you know, as, as you can, because I think that sometimes you don't even know where your opportunity lies until, you know, you're in a conversation with someone, either informally or formally. And, and, and there's a, you know, the Social Entrepreneurs Ireland job. I didn't even know it existed. I hadn't even heard of social entrepreneurship, you know, until I talked to a, a mutual friend of myself and James's, um, you know, Coleman Farrell, actually, who, who then, you know, introduced me to, you know, 
well, connected me with James and connected me into Declan and led to 10 years of a, of a really inspirational job that I had. So I think, you know, being open to that opportunity and you have to be proactive um, in, in fostering and growing those type of conversations. And, and, can I, I'd love to, sorry, I'm not, not to cut yeah. across you because I was talking to a young 23-year-old recently and I think technology, uh, she was saying technology, how do I ring someone up and make an ask? Or how do I, how do, I do that? Because it's, no, we were very lucky. Maybe we didn't have that technology. You had to knock on a door. Would you mind having a conversation? Yeah. What would you say? What would you, what's the simple way that takes away the, the block of actually, or maybe people are afraid of people say no. Most people don't say no if the ask is the right way. That's, yeah, I, I agreed. And, but I think actually, you know, almost the, the, the sort of the, the subtext of, of that question is, you know, how do I approach a, a, a company? How do I, um, you know, how do I, I, I initiate that initial conversation because I want to get into technology? The short answer is, I, you know, in, in terms of direct approach to the company, I actually don't have a good answer to that because I think each company works, you know, in different ways. I mean, I know some companies that just won't solicit you know, or, or won't entertain, they don't solicit kind of, you know, casual conversations, they won't entertain, you know, uh, random emails that they have a very structured recruitment process, you know, and they go through that religiously. Um, I know others that, you know, if, you know, people are a bit innovative and a bit sort of, uh, you know, uh, open to, to, to just uh, trying to, uh, you know, send in, for example, an email or pick up the phone that they'd be open to those type of conversations. So I, I actually don't know if there's a, a a good piece of advice I could give in that sense. What, what I would say, and, and this will bring me to a second point that I do think is, for me, is quite important. Um, but the, the first thing I would say is, we're, we're, one of the defining characteristics of Ireland is that we are a highly social, highly gregarious, and highly networked country. And I would, I would think that someone who, who is, is trying to figure that out, I would be surprised if they didn't know someone who either worked in a technology company or knew someone, they knew someone who knew someone who worked or was some way connected. And so again, part of it, I think, is just being open to possibility around, rather than just the direct approach. So, you know, may, if there's a particular company that they're interested in, you know, even if they don't know someone with a direct connection, you know, they or their friends or their, you know, one of their parents or their parents' friends might either know someone or might give them a, a steer in terms of how you know, they might go about that or who they might be able to be connected to. So I think building, it comes back to, for me, about kind of building those informal networks as well, of, of just reaching out and, and actually maybe being quite open about it and, and, and sort of saying, look, here's where I want to go. I'm not, I'm struggling a bit. People want to help. People want to help. And I think that, that you know, kind of, we sometimes maybe are reluctant to ask for help. And I think that if we can overcome that reluctance, we surprising things will happen and, and opportunities will open up that we wouldn't have even seen initially. The second point I would make, and, and I, I suppose it comes to questions like this, how do people, for example, connect up to technology companies? I, my own feeling is that 
anyone who gives advice that is sort of universally applicable, I, the way you do it, to, if you want to get into technology, the way you do it is this. I don't believe it. I don't believe that there is that there is a standard way of, of doing things. And, and I think that's, I apply that more generally. I, I've been on you know, various professional development courses. I think that there is a huge value and utility in them in that they can introduce you to new ways of doing things, new techniques, new, new approaches, new paradigms. And I think that there is huge value in those. So, I, so I'm not in any way um, denigrating any of those. But I do think of you know the, the classic you know um, how to you know how to double your bottom line you know kind of in five easy steps, right? And this is prescriptive. This is the way you do it. Anyone who gives that type of advice or any publication or material that is suggesting that there is one way to make things happen or to, for success. That is just isn't true. And I would run away from anyone who, who claims that they have the answers. What they have, you know, what people can have is new approaches, new models, but ultimately what success and, and progress will depend on is not just the, the model or the, the approach or the system, it's how that interacts with you as a person, and what you bring to the table. And so some things will, will suit, some, some approaches will suit people and their knowledge and their personality and their character very well. And they'll, they'll will work very well with them. Other people, it won't, the, you know, the fit won't be as good. And I think that, it, as I say, I just would be very wary of being very prescriptive about any advice. Um, I think you can kind of suggest and, and give options to people, but ultimately they have to find among that sort of table of options, the pieces of advice and the approaches the best fit for them and where they are at that point in time. Um, and I think the same would be with this, you know, kind of, um, and, and, and the same applies to any type of company in any sector. Different companies will approach recruitment, they'll approach, you know, kind of um, conversations in different ways. And what will work with company A mightn't work with company B. And we just have to be open to that. So it's a bit of bit of confidence and believe in yourself to start. Yeah, with. I, I, even if you aren't confident, you know, you know, believe. you've got a choice. You've got a very fundamental choice here. You can either sit back and say, "Okay, I'm not as confident as you know John or Mary, you know, kind of down the road or you know, kind of in the lecture hall, you know, next to me, and I'm not that person." Now you've got a choice at that point. You can either say that that's who I am, so I'm kind of doomed. So I'm just going to sit here. And, and just let life and career pass me by. Or you can say, even though I'm not as confident or I don't think I'm as confident, because you may well be, because we all have different perceptions of people uh, you know, other than ourselves. But even if I don't feel as confident, I just have, I have to take, I have to make myself take that step. I have to, I have to put myself out there. I have, to, I have to step out and it's uncomfortable. And it's hard, but that's, I think, fundamentally the choice you have. Um, and it, sure, for other people, it might be easier than for you, but that isn't an excuse not to do it. And do you have, from your time with Social Entrepreneurs Ireland, can you think of one of your investees, or maybe they, they didn't become investees, who might have been 
you can see there was great potential straight away and they just just they lacked a bit of confidence kicking off and then they grew and then they just blossomed i'm just just maybe and i'm sure yeah. there's lots of people and i don't want to i don't want to uh obviously every in, in that program sure very well but just might be someone say well they just said and they just they suddenly changed shifted to say yeah, i can do this yeah, I, 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 and I won't mention any specific names. I think it might be unfair to kind of pull out and, yeah. and sort of one person. But um, I, I, I have, I, in fact, some of the, the, the most powerful people um, are the ones with the, the, the self-doubt, if you want. Um, and I, I'm thinking of one project in particular where, you know, the... They were again. They had a really, really powerful idea, um, but whether it be through lack of confidence or maybe just having their horizons quite closed, they their vision for this idea was quite limited, and and in, therefore the impact was going to be quite limited. And I remember one of the things we did in Social Entrepreneurs Ireland is we would put a if you want a support or mentoring group around each of our investees, around each of the social entrepreneurs. Um, and it wasn't anything too onerous, you know, would meet, you know, once every two or three months. Um, you know, it was a sort of a, a, a safe space where the social entrepreneur could kind of come and, you know, talk about their successes, but particularly some of the challenges and some of the doubts and some of the, the fears that they had around the, the organization and, and, um, none of the people on that group was directly involved in in the in the in the organisation. They weren't on the board or anything like that. And I do remember one conversation being around the table, and uh, people, you know, saying, "But this is all great. But why aren't you? Why are you just thinking this this small? Why why couldn't you apply this to all of these other areas? Um, to you know, this is the same approach, the same technique." And it was like a light bulb going off for them. It was like a, you know, it was it was like you know the doors had been flung open, uh, you know, kind of on the room, and there was a big open, you know, horizon outside. Um, but they there was always there. They just hadn't seen it. I know it took. It probably took about you know kind of two years in order for to to really realise that opportunity. Um, but now they are one of the. I mean, definitely you know, leaders in their field in Ireland and internationally huge, you know, got huge uh, recognition and, and significance as well. And so I, I, I see that. Um, and I think that's, again, maybe some of the, sometimes all that's needed is people around you to be a critical friend. You know, so, you know, for me, that encapsulates the two things, being a friend. So you're supportive, you're, 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 you're vested in the success of the person. You want them to, to succeed. Um, but, but not just being a cheerleader because a cheerleader is, is, is great and, 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 and sorry, necessary. I mean, you know, you should, you should acknowledge and, 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 and sort of, um, praise and celebrate success. That's really important. It's really important that when things go well, that not only for ourselves, but people around us tell us that and say, you know, that is fantastic. But equally, you, you know, you're being a true friend when in a supportive way, you're prepared to point out when things aren't going well and, and where, you know, where, you know, maybe the approach taken or the kind of the, the, the perspective isn't as, as good as it could be. 
and, and helping people to, to sort of not just overcome some of that, but sometimes even see that, I think, is really, really powerful. And, 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 and for me, the measure of a true friend. Interesting. That's a great answer. And I hope whoever listens to this will kind of listen to those sort of... So, as you say, it's kind of about... To, it's, it's one step at a time, and they can be small or really little or really big steps. And maybe the right people around you might be saying, come on, you can go for it, or you can grow bigger, or you can get this job, or you can go for it. Or you can ask that person that question. Give yourself permission to keep going forward. My last question, Sean. Five words to describe your career to date. Oh, God. Um, uh, five words. Uh, unexpected. Inspirational. Fun. Growing, if you want, so you know, personal growth. And the word I'm looking for is exciting, but excite, excitement about the future, about what's still to come. So that isn't one word, but. No, that's okay. That's enough. Sean, it's like, just like for the purpose of this, uh, our audience, like to thank you so much for for talking with us today and sharing a really, really interesting journey. I'm familiar with part of it. Obviously, you shared a little bit about that. And uh, I, I wish you well in uh, the next couple of years and whatever comes after this project. And uh, I want to thank you very much on behalf of uh, uh, Elevate Career Scoop. Brilliant. Delighted, delighted to be uh, being here today. Thanks, James. That's great, Sean. Thank you for listening to The Career Scoop, brought to you by Elevate Career Advice and Elevate Executive Selection. I'm James Fitzsimons, and I hope you've enjoyed listening. Next week, we will be talking to John Hewitson about his career journey. Hope to see you there.